Good morning. Uh, it's good to see you all here today. Um, so we are, I'm sure you know this. Um, actually, I'm not sure you know this, but I'm going to tell you. Wait, let me do this important thing here. There it is. Um, so we are at the end of our um, I Am series. Okay? Uh, now, just as a... You know this, I would imagine, but, but let, me, let me catch you up a little bit. So uh, it was back in early May that uh, some of the elders and, and staff here at the church went to a Right Now conference uh, in uh, Chicago, uh, Naperville. And uh, Right Now, of course, by the way, um, we subscribe to Right Now. Some of you use it and you love it. Some of you, when I say Right Now, you're like, oh yeah, I've been meaning to check that out. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay, Right Now works a lot like Netflix, Okay, and so you only have to sign in once from either your Roku on your smart TV on your Blu-ray DVD player. You could get the app on your phone. You sign in once, and then you can stroll through and you can you can look and search. And there are thousands of Bible studies uh, available from and sermons and uh, leadership conferences and all kinds of things there from from people that that you want to hear. Um, and it's good stuff, and um, it's got a lot of great teenage things. There's a lot of great things for kids, our younger kids, elementary age, preschool kids, uh, and then there's plenty for us as adults. I mean, if you are thinking, man, I want to know more about marriage, there's plenty. You want to know, I, I want to know more about uh, the book of Ephesians. Well, hey, then pick one of, uh, of 20 studies on the book of Ephesians. If you're not signed into right now and you want to be, uh, check in with Malia at the Welcome Center after the service, uh, or whoever's there, and they'll get you hooked up. But um, that's an important thing. But anyway, we were at this Right Now conference, and um, at the conference, we, we had the opportunity to hear Chip Ingram speak. And as Chip Ingram spoke, you know, he, he addressed this issue of uh, the real God, and that as leaders, it's so critically important for us to know uh, and be comfortable with and be familiar with the real God, not just some random picture of God, not some holdover, but to know intimately the God of the universe. And you know what? We, we drove home uh, that day, and, and we were having that conversation, and over the next couple of weeks, and you know, we thought, boy, that's, that's pretty darn important, not just for us leaders, uh, but for everybody in the church. And so it's from there that we kind of started talking about um, the need for this series to tackle um, the, the character and the attributes of God, and for everyone to know, and coupled with small groups, so that those that chose to could go deeper into that. And uh, really, it's been, for me anyway, it's been a wonderful um, sermon series and small group semester, and I hope that you've enjoyed it as well, and, and continue to be challenged by some of those things. And today we wrap it up. So today's, today's week 10 of this series, and uh, because of everything that we've learned so far, because of everything that we've gone through, this week uh, will kind of serve as our bookend. You know, we started way back when, and we talked about over here uh, the self-existence of God. That was week one, that God alone is self-existent. He alone uh, was um, separate from creation. He stepped into um, history. He created history. He creates everything by the word of his mouth and and, and he sustains it all by his thought and everything that happens. That's why every week as we've gone on and we said, well, let's look at God's love and his goodness and his faithfulness. And, and what do we come back to every week? Well, here's evidence number one of all of that is what? It's creation. We're going to get there again today. 
uh, for the last time in this series, we're going to come back to the idea that God's um, attribute is clearly demonstrated through creation. Okay, But week one, God is self-existent, and here we get to the end of this series, and we've learned all about these attributes of God, and we get to this idea that God alone is supreme. And the praise team just sang that song, Let Us in Worship There, that says, There is no one like you. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. I could search for all eternity long and find what? That there is none like you. Why? Because there's no one else that exists like God. And I want to put a challenge before you today as we get into this sermon. Some of you are in different places here. Some of you, you intellectually understand that there is a God, but it does nothing for you. I mean, you get it. You get that there's a God. You get that God is, is supreme. You get that all of these things about God are true, and, and you won't argue that fact. You're, you're not saying, oh, I don't really believe in God. You're like, I believe in God, but God does nothing for me. And I hope we've chipped away at that through this series. But there's others of you here that are on the other end of the spectrum. You're like, yeah, I'm not sure I even believe in this God you keep talking about. I won't ask you to raise your hands because that would be embarrassing for you probably here at church. I get that. But you readily will talk about it when you're with your friends. You'll readily talk about it when you're at school. You'll readily talk about it when you're at the workplace. I'm just not sure I buy that God that you're talking about. My challenge for you, uh, also I know there's some of you in the middle. I got it. You believe, and it's important to you, and it's, but, but for, for those of you that are on this, this spectrum, and you're either not sure, yeah, I know God's real, but I'm not sure it matters to me. I'm not sure I care, okay? Pay close attention today as we talk about the supremacy of God and why it matters, and if you're over here where you're like, yeah, I'm not even sure that this God that you're talking about is real, listen, something I learned a long time ago, there are really smart people that can prove to you that God absolutely exists, then there are really smart people that can prove to you that God absolutely does not exist. Okay? And what I mean by that is that there there are enough people that have enough intellectual, high-sounding arguments that they can make a case, and you, because you haven't studied as much as they have, kind of crumble under the weight of their big-sounding words and their arguments. And so when somebody like me stands up here and I I open up apologetically all of the reasons why God absolutely must exist, you're like, okay, I'm not sure I believe it, but I can't really argue. And when somebody else, you know, your science teacher or your professor at college or your really smart brother um, wants to tell you all about why God is dumb and God can't possibly exist and because you... I can't intellectually keep up. I start to crumble under the weight of the argument. And what I'm saying is that there are really smart people that are going to tell you that God is real and you'll feel compelled to believe it. And there are really smart people that will tell you that God is not real and you'll feel compelled to believe it. And at some point in time, it stops being about what you can intellectually understand and it starts being about what speaks to your heart. What grips you in your heart and what rends you and what breaks you and what pulls you apart from the inside out. That is the God of the universe speaking to you Not from an intellectual argument, but just from this desire and this want to know you, to love you, to care for you, to be faithful to you, to pour justice and goodness out on your life. And I want to challenge you as we talk about the supremacy of God to live there today. If you're having trouble believing that this God is real or that this God matters, then then this is important for you because we have to deal with this. 
okay? Because there is no one like you. Anybody here seen Nemo, Finding Nemo? Finding Nemo was Travis's favorite movie right up until last year. <laughs> that part's not true. But when he was like two, like he would want to watch this movie all the time. We owned multiple copies of it. Um, in fact, we, we had copies and then uh, we gave the one that we had, like we had this movie, we bought this movie and we gave it to my brother. Like here, make us, because you know, he, uh, I'm sure legally, made copies of movies all the time. We're like, make us an extra copy of this movie because if this one ever gets lost, we need a backup. Travis loved the movie Finding Nemo. I'm not sure why. Um, he always would get a little bit angsty and uh, upset at the very beginning when the barracuda eats them. It has a rough start. It's every Disney movie ever made, right? No intact families in Disney movies. That's just the way it works, Okay. But, but he loved this movie, and, and, and we'd watch this movie, and, and, and eventually we find Nemo in a tank in Sydney, Australia, um, and all the fish in the tank would hatch an escape plan. If I'm ruining Finding Nemo for anybody, I'm sorry, <laughs> but that movie's like 12 years old, so, but they hatch an escape plan, and the escape plan is to go down the sink, to get flushed in the toilet, something, because there's this idea that all drains lead to the ocean. And that's, that's their whole premise, is, is if we could just find a drain, we'll end up in the ocean, because all drains lead to the ocean. And you know what? As silly as it sounds, we kind of have this idea when it comes to religion. It's a popular cultural understanding that all drains lead to the ocean, that all paths eventually get you to the same God, that all sincerity will get you to heaven. And that it doesn't really matter what you believe. It only matters that you are sincere in your belief. And we're going to pull that apart today as we talk about the supremacy of God and how God displays it. But it's important for you to understand um, the thesis for this, the, this whole series is simply this statement by A.W. Tozer. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And in this area... It's more critical than in any other area we've talked about. Because God alone is supreme. And God alone will have his way. And God alone, as we'll read, is the way, the truth, and the life. God alone is our path to salvation. But the question goes like this. It's like, don't all religions lead to the same God? Sure, you're a Christian, Somebody else is a Buddhist. Somebody else is um, a Muslim. Somebody else is a Wiccan. Somebody else is a very faithful Jehovah's Witness. Somebody else is, is a very faithful practicing Mormon. Okay? Don't forget uh, about our Hindu friends over here. And what happens is, is we start to think, well, don't all of these religions ultimately lead to the same place. And isn't it more important that you be sincere? Because if you are sincere in following the tenets of, this is going to rub people the wrong way, if you are sincere in following the tenets of Judaism, you're a good Old Testament practicing Jew, 
then isn't God going to say, well, yeah, you missed me, but you were really sincere and you really tried hard, so it's going to be okay for you. Don't all drains eventually lead to the ocean? And of course, I think we'll see the answer is, is no. God's pretty clear about that, but wouldn't it be a whole lot simpler if it would? You know, 84% of the world um, claims some kind of religious affiliation. That's kind of a small slide, but you can take a look at it there. Uh, 2.2 billion people claim to be Christians, okay? Uh, 1.6 billion people claim to be Muslims. Now, those aren't on fire Christians. Those aren't on fire Muslims. Those are, um, th- those, those of course, would include some nominal people that would identify that way and not be. Um, 1 billion people claim to be Hindus, They claim that religious affiliation, and the list goes on and on and on. 84% of the world is religious in nature. By the way, that's an apologetic for somebody that tells you there is no God, religion is stupid, and I know you have people that tell you that. 84% of the world, and not just the world as it exists right now, 84% of the world, of all people that have ever lived, believe in a God of the universe. Are you really trying to tell me that you're so arrogant that, that I know better than 84% of the people that have ever lived in the history of the world? But we all believe in something, or at least the grand majority of us believe in something. And the question is, if we're sincere, isn't that good enough? Why, why do we Christians get to say that we alone know the right way or the only way? And, and as we tear into this today, I, 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 just, I want you to understand that when we talk about the supremacy of the God of the universe, we're not talking from an arrogant position. Christians have messed that up for far too long. We're not talking from a we're right, you're wrong position. But hopefully what we're doing is we're talking from a, listen to me, you have got to see God clearly because what you think about when you think about the God of the universe is the most important thing about you and it has eternal ramifications. And so we, we, we don't lord this over people. But we take this information that we talk about with the supremacy of God, and it should burn in us, and it should push us forward to be about the ministry of the gospel. Because look at me. There's a lot of people on that list that are sincere, but they are sincerely wrong. And there are churches that are getting this wrong all the time. I've showed you these slides before, I think, but there are um, waves and waves of churches that have decided that um, we don't have to be exclusive. There are waves of Chrislamic churches, um, and um, they are quite pleased to tell you, hey, you know what? You believe this, we believe this, God will bless us all because ultimately, We're all wanting and sincerely desiring to pursue the God of the universe. And so if you're wrong, if I'm wrong, no biggie. Sincerity counts. Can I tell you how many times I've been sincerely wrong? A lot. It doesn't make me less wrong. Okay? Uh, Two plus two will always equal four. 
no matter how much I believe, when I write down five, no matter how much I really believe that five is right, two plus two is always going to equal four. This one. I'm not trying, I don't know, I didn't go out to the parking lot and do a walkthrough. If you guys have this bumper sticker on your car, I'm not angry at you. You should probably take it off, though, if you're claiming to be Christian. And the reason, you can wait till after the service. <laughs> but the reason is because um, I, I get the idea. The idea is nice. Can't we all just get along? Can't we agree to disagree? Except that's not the foundational theology behind that movement. The foundational behindment behind the coexist movement is it's all the same God anyway. And we're all just worshiping God in our own way, and we'll all be okay in the end. And I'm going to tell you, it's just not biblical, and it's not biblical because I read this. That's not biblical for a lot of reasons, but here's what I read. Matthew 7, 13 to 14 says this. You can enter God's kingdom only. This is Jesus talking, by the way. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. And its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Now, listen to me. You cannot read that text and come away with an understanding that says, all drains lead to the ocean. That you pick a path, the path you're most comfortable with, you pick a path, and then at the end of your path, we'll all find that we're together in the same place. There is nothing about that statement that Jesus Christ makes that says, you know what? There are lots of roads that you could choose to end up being okay with the God of the universe. I read that statement and I say, you know what? There is one way. Do you can enter God's kingdom only, only. Now, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. Many of you would tower above me academically. But I know what the word only means. You know what that word means in the ancient Greek? It means only. There is only one way. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. You get this picture that it's hidden, but the highway to hell is broad and wide, and get this, it's easily accessed. There's this little narrow pass that's kind of tucked away that you have to seek and find. And it's through that narrow path alone that you enter the kingdom of God. But the highway to hell is broad, and there are many, many on-ramps. This is the reality. This is the picture that Jesus paints for us. He says, look, I am supreme. There is none like me. And if you want to be right, if you want to see me well, if you want a relationship with me, then the gateway is narrow. Okay, and he demonstrates his supremacy all through the Old Testament. Oh my goodness, I, I'm really bad at the clicker. There you go, in creation. You get this, right? We've done this every week. God demonstrates his supremacy in creation. In the beginning, Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. 
We get this picture from Genesis 1-1 that in the beginning, God creates. What was there before God created? Only God. There was God, and there was nothing. And in the beginning, meaning that at some point in eternity, God decided of his own volition to go ahead and create the heavens and the earth. And I can see some of you in your heads, you're going, ah, time out. That's not what happened. There was a big bang. Some stuff happened. Yeah, okay, look, you can give me all of your science. I can give you all of my understanding. We can have this debate till kingdom come. But what makes more sense to you? You're wandering through the woods. You're wandering through the woods. You're going for a hike in the woods. And there you see it half sticking out of the dirt, half buried. It's covered with mud. You pull it out. You clean it off. And it is this beautiful, perfectly functioning watch. And it's gorgeous. And you crack open the back of the watch and you look at the dials that, that, that are turning and clicking and it keeps perfect time and you marvel at the big bang that must have put this watch together. That, that took all of these parts and put this watch together in such perfect precision that now it keeps perfect time and it's beautiful. Or do you sit back and you go, man, the watchmaker must have been really good to put this together like that. It's not about intellectual arguments anymore. What does your heart tell you? But, but Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, there was nothing except God, and God started everything. He says, he creates the heaven and the earth. John 1-1 says it this way. You read it, it says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word here is Jesus Christ. The word was God. And the word was with God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created every. get this, God created everything through him. Listen to this part. And nothing was created except through him. Everything that exists has its origin in God. It's the reality of this. By the way, some of you continue to be curious about creation evolution? What about all of these other things? What about this that I heard? What about that? Listen, there are tomes and tomes written about creation. Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do today. You cannot walk away from here, and I mean, you, you can do whatever you want, okay? But it would be dangerous for you to walk away from here believing that God did not create without doing yourself the favor of doing your own research. See, there's some of you, it's like people tell me, people tell me, I hear, I hear, I hear, and so I just believe what they tell me because they sound smart. Well, you know what? If, you, if you're gonna, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you, okay? And so don't walk out of here thinking, well, there's no way God creates everything unless you're willing to do your own research. Do your own research. Don't just read Christian authors. Read Christian authors. Read secular authors. Um, listen to debates. There's debates on YouTube. You can find any kind of debate against creationists and evolutionists, and you can, you can hear and you can interact, and you can, but do your own research. You don't have to believe something because I said it, but do not. There's too much at stake. The gateway to heaven, the gateway to the kingdom of God is narrow. The highway to hell is wide. Do yourself the favor of doing the work. Okay, two, we see God's supremacy revealed in Scripture. 
starts, uh, well, it's all throughout Scripture, but, but Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3 tell us this, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must, have, uh, you must not have any other God but me. That's a small g God, okay? Um, so it's a different word. It says, I am Yahweh. That word for, for God there, that small g, is the word for idol. Okay, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord your God. I am the God. This is uh, commandment number one, by the way. Right? If you're, if you're reading in Exodus 20, this is the Ten Commandments. Commandment number one. I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt where you were slaves. I led you out here. Now you're camped by the mountain, and I'm giving you the laws to live by. I'm giving you the fence posts that will help you have a productive and joy-filled life. And I'm telling you this. I'm the Lord your God. I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. I am supreme. I alone reign above. I am the only God that you need. I'm the only God that exists. So you don't have any fake gods before me. Don't do that. God demonstrates his supremacy. And then even in the statement, um, I rescued you out of the land of Egypt. You know what happened when God rescued the people from Egypt? There were 10 plagues. We've talked about this before. There were 10 plagues. Each plague... Do you know what it did? Each plague attacked one of the small g gods of Egypt. First was, was the water turned to blood. That actually attacked three gods of Egypt. Uh, uh, let's, I'm going to mess up these names because I don't know a whole lot about Egyptian gods. So, but neither do you, so I'll just say it with confidence and you'll be like, man, that guy knows a lot about Egyptian gods. <laughs> Rewind and pretend I didn't say that. So there's the god Kunum is the guardian of the river source, and the god Hopi is the spirit of the Nile, and Osiris is, uh, uh, was a god who um, had, legend said, his, his bloodstream was the Nile River itself. And, and God comes in, and what's he do? He turns the Nile to blood. Frogs. Um, Hopi was the frog goddess to Egypt. Right? That, they had a frog goddess. And all of a sudden, God brings all of these frogs. And they pray to her. They sacrifice to her. Animal sacrifices. Human sacrifices. So that she would take the frogs away. But no, none of it worked because God is supreme. And then there was the lice. Um, yeah, that, there's, there's a god of that. Um, and Uetkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilkilk
Ra, the sun god. Bringer of life. And then the death of the firstborn was an attack on all gods. But you know who it was attack on specifically? Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who had set himself up as God. But every one of those plagues is God demonstrating, not just that I'll rescue my people from Egypt and I'll bring them out and I'll establish them in a land I promised them long ago in the nation of Israel, but, but all of those were an attack on counterfeit gods. You heard Vince talk about this, I don't know how many weeks ago when he talked about sovereignty, but, but we see this picture um, of the Ark of the Covenant when it gets captured in 1 Samuel and, and the Philistines take it to their temple and they set it up in their temple next to their idol god Dagon. Um, They're like, we captured it. It's ours. We put it under the feet of our idol because it's this picture that the God of Israel is weaker than our God Dagon. And what happens every morning when they walk in, the God statue has fallen down, the head breaks off, the hands break off, and then the entire nation breaks out in a skin disease and boils. So much so that they give the ark back to the Israelites and they say, your God is too powerful for us. Please take him back. God is supreme. He demonstrates it over and over again. And it's that supremacy that, that helps us understand his wrath that he has with people. Look at, at Romans 1. We've, we've gone to this text a couple of times, but Romans 1, starting in verse 18. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And then get this part here. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. See, what's happened all through the history of the world is people, because we know, deep down, we know there's this this God that draws us. There's this other thing that, that, it just doesn't explain all this. There's something bigger than us. And so what happens is, is we've looked at our surroundings and we've said, the sun, I can't figure out the sun. Like, the sun does this thing where it, it rises and, it, and it, it provides um, growth and life, and then it sets and it does this thing. And so what we've done is, instead of saying, well, there must be a God that made that because he loves us, what we've done is we've said, okay, now there is a God of the sun. And instead of figuring out rain, like rain, what is rain? How does water cycle through? How does, how does this happen? What is this cycle of water with, with gas and liquid and all of these other things? And so what we've decided is, well, there must be a God of, of water, a God of rain. And so we keep doing this, but God says, no, 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 I alone am supreme. I created all that. That's why Genesis 1-1 is so important. In the beginning, there was nothing. God creates everything. Guess what? Now there's the sun because God created it. Now there's rain because God created it. Now there's atmosphere because God creates it. God creates everything. He alone is supreme. Okay? 
And then we get to this last way. This is the one that, that we've landed on all throughout this series. It seems like we talk about, well, there's creation. Here's what the Bible says. And then we get to this last most excellent way every week where God demonstrates this attribute. Who's it through? It's through Jesus. And I, I left that up there uh, because there's some confusion that we have here. So you see that, that God's supremacy is revealed most excellently through the person of Jesus. And you see the same text, Exodus 20, verses 2 through 3 says, I am Yahweh who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of slavery. You must not have any other God but me. And there's something about Jesus that should confuse us. It confused the Jews. Okay? And, and there's something about Jesus that we have to understand. And it's all of the sudden, we've lived for centuries and centuries and centuries and thousands of years, and God has said, I alone am God, have no other gods but me. You have other people that have elevated themselves like Pharaoh and said, I'm God, and God has crushed them in response to that. Nebuchadnezzar, we read about it in the book of Daniel uh, in Babylon, says, I am God. Look at all I have accomplished with my hands. And what's God do? God turns him into a wild animal. He's a raving lunatic for seven years as judgment because he said he was God. And then after seven years, when, when he comes back to his senses, um, for those of you that haven't read that story, I don't mean like he literally turned into a wild animal. Like this wasn't like he was transformed into a bear. Um, that's brave. It's a Disney movie. It's not legit. Okay, what I mean is, like, he lost his mind, stark raving mad, and he wandered in the wilderness for seven years, and he comes back to his senses, and what does he say? There is no God like that God, and he gives all honor and glory to Daniel's God. We read about, we read about Herod Antipas in, in the New Testament, where he gets up on stage, and the people start cheering him like he's God, and he doesn't correct them. He drops dead in an instant because he takes the praise that was supposed to be God's. God takes his supremacy seriously. And then all of a sudden, we get this picture of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, so clearly, when we read through the Gospels, so clearly claims to be God. You ever wonder why the Jews wanted to kill him so badly? It wasn't just because he was threatening their way of life. He was. He was threatening their way of life. He was turning things upside down. But there were good, sincere Jews who saw and heard Jesus and wanted him stopped. Why? Because all of a sudden... Jesus is claiming that he's God. If you talk to Jews today that will argue um, about um, why Christianity isn't real and, and, and why we're not, we, Jesus isn't who he says he is, is because they'll come back to this, this statement. I'm the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must have no other God but me. And when Jesus claimed to be God, right there in their minds, that was the deal breaker. The difference is that Jesus is God. Jesus is the only human who could ever claim to be God and be right because Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. If you claim to be God, I mean, and, and you're legitimately serious, we're going to have you locked up. 
because nothing good happens there. You ever see the movie The Dream Team? Peter Gallagher, Michael Keaton, Christopher Lloyd. Okay, look, let's, let's stop for a second. You got to watch this movie. It's spectacular. They're, they're mental patients in New York, and they're on a day trip with their doctor to go to a Yankees game, okay? And then he gets mugged, and they're on the loose, and one of them, Peter Gallagher, or yeah, Peter Gallagher, think, thinks he's God. Like, so he walks in, like the whole movie, he's just walking around, you know, he's blessing people. He walks through the hospital, he's like, arise and walk, my son, and somebody gets up and falls down. (laughs) Whatever. Put it on your list, the dream team, watch it. Good family fun, I think. It's been like 20 years since I've seen it, so maybe preview it without the kids first. PG-13, though, at least. All right, anyway, where were we? Somewhere good, I bet. Yeah, Jesus is the only one that ever gets to claim to be God. Everybody else, we lock up. And the reason for that is because Jesus demonstrated through his death and resurrection that this is true. Jesus alone demonstrates, and he predicts it. He tells us about it. He lets us know what's going to happen. See, Jesus over and over and over again told his disciples that he was God, God in flesh, God incarnate. That means Um, By the way, the reason that we say he was God, but he was also human, is because of something called the hypostatic union, okay? You don't really care about the hypostatic union, except it's this idea that God is fully God, I'm sorry, that Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time, that those two natures come together in the person of Jesus, like unlike anything ever before or ever again, and that Jesus exists perfectly as God and man. It's why the virgin birth matters so much. Actually, that's week two of our Advent series is, you know, why did it have to be a virgin birth? And we'll get into that during Advent, and hopefully that'll be helpful for you as you, as you wrestle with this. But, but we talk about the idea that, that Jesus is alone fits this bill, okay? And he tells us all about it. Look at this. John 14, we get this scene is is we're in the upper room. We've had the Last Supper. Jesus has washed feet, and and he's told them it's about to get bad. It's about to get tragically bad. Everything is going to fall apart. Somebody's going to betray me. I'm going to die. Peter says, no, 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 I'll I'll protect you. I'll die with you. And he says, Peter, you're going to run away, man. You're going to deny that you ever even knew me before the rooster crows three times tonight. Okay, I mean, it's this this whole thing. He says, no, no, it's not going to work. But but here's how Jesus responds to this. He just drops this bombshell that everything that you've sacrificed for the last three years, you've put all your, your eggs in my basket. I have been the core of your existence. You thought I was the one. You thought I was the Messiah. You, you believed everything about me. I'm going to be taken. I'm going to die. All of it's going to happen. And, and then he says this, but listen, don't let your heart be troubled. John 14, these first four verses are so powerful. It says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in me. Trust in God. He says, look, man, there's more than enough room in my father's house for you. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There is more than enough room for you. And here's the thing. He drops this bombshell. He's like, and you know how to get there. I don't know how to get anywhere. GPS, as far as I'm concerned, is a modern marvel. I tell my phone where I want to be, 
and my phone tells me how to get there. It is spectacular. I still, I've lived here for three and a half years. I still don't go to anywhere in Cedar Rapids without knowing, um, without having my phone and without putting in the GPS because I will still get lost. I just now have started to be able to get to the hospital. And that's just like one exit. Like, and that's just St. Luke's. If I got to get to Mercy, then there's other things that happen. About the only place I can get to without GPS is sushi. And I, I think it's just because I can smell it. But Jesus says, you know the way. I'm going and you know how to get where I'm going. You know how to follow me where I'm going. You know how to be where I am. And, and then here's the thing. Thomas says, man, I don't, I don't have a clue where you're going, Lord. We don't know. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And this is the key. Jesus says this, look, man, I'm the way. Like everything that you, that you have thought about this last time, I'm the way. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going and I'm preparing a room for you and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you and you know the way to get to where I am. You're not going to be lost without a map. You know how to get where I'm going. You know exactly what to do. Stop having worry in your heart. And by the way, when he says, don't let your heart be troubled, there is this grand statement about Christian joy in your life. He does not say, Everything is sunshiny and happy. The church is about to be persecuted like crazy. He's about to be brutally tortured and nailed to a cross, but he says, don't let your heart be troubled. He doesn't say, look, man, it is going to be smooth sailing for you. Some of you, one of the reasons that you're not sure you buy into Christianity is because your life is too hard. You're like, man, it... If God were real, my life would be a whole lot easier. But Jesus says, look, it's about to get so hard. That's what he says. Everything bad that you could... When you woke up this morning, if you made a list of the worst things that could happen, they're all going to happen, and then some. But do not let your heart be troubled. Have this thing called Christian joy. Christian joy that surpasses human circumstance that says, I know it's rough right now, but it is going to be okay. And then Thomas says, I don't know how to get there. And Jesus says, yes, you do. Here's how you get there. You go through me. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Remember when Jesus said there was a narrow gate, and then there was a highway to hell? The narrow gate you had to enter the kingdom of heaven through the narrow gate, the highway to hell. You could get on there any way you wanted. Here Jesus says, I am the narrow gate. You want to get to God? You come through me. Do you know what that is? That's exclusive. That's exclusive. That's why people hate Christianity. You know, your, your professors, your teachers, your neighbors, your, your brother-in-law, the people that talk bad about Christianity, the reason they hate Christianity is because it's naturally exclusive. 
because of Christianity, because of this truth, because we say that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody gets to God unless they go through Jesus. We are naturally being exclusive. What I'm saying is, and this hurts in this day and age, what I'm saying is, you who don't believe in Jesus, you are wrong. You're following Buddha, you're on the highway to hell. Krishna, it's not getting you there. The Jesus of our Jehovah's Witness friends, not nearly good enough. Not God. The Jesus from our Mormon folks, friends, that's not God. It's an angel. It's not it. Allah, Muhammad, you're not going to get there. You die, you don't get to be reincarnated to try again. There is not some big pool of energy that you came from that you will return to. See, the Bible teaches that Christianity, that salvation, that heaven is exclusive. Now, here's the deal about the exclusive thing. It's not like you have to apply to belong, right? It's not like a club where you have to fit a certain profile and like, okay, now I can be part of the club. Anybody can join the club. But if you want to be right with the God of the universe, see, and this is why we say what you think about God, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. No confusion. What does your heart tell you? Because Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the narrow gate. You want to be okay? Then guess what? It's exclusive. And you're welcome to join the club if you want, but it is exclusive. This is the only way. It's what Acts 4.12 says, right? There's salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There's no other way for you to be right. Finishes this whole statement. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus replied, man, Philip, don't you get it by now? Have I been with you all this time and you still don't understand? From now on, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So stop asking me to show the Father to you and look at me. See, all through history, very few people have interacted with God. Adam and Eve walked with God. Abram was called by God, had conversations with God. Isaac wrestled Jacob Rest. Carolyn, where's Carolyn at? Carolyn, by the way, you're right. I messed up that song last week. You, you were absolutely correct. I was, I was the wrong song. Whatever. We'll talk later. I did it all wrong. You can go back and listen to last week if you want to know what song I'm talking about. But, um, but, but Jacob wrestled with God. Isaac was called by God. And, and then Joseph had these interactions. And we, every once in a while throughout history, we read about these and we hear about these interactions with God. Moses had a conversation with God, was face to face with God. David was a friend of God. We read all of these things. Okay, Solomon was asked by God, what do you want? Ask me for something and I'll give it to you. What do you want? And all of these interactions and all of these things happen. But, but by and large, the grand majority of people don't get to see or talk to God. Isaiah gets this grand experience, we read about it in Isaiah 6, where, where he's lifted to the temple and he thinks he's ruined because he's actually seeing the God of the universe. It doesn't happen often. But Jesus says, 
Now, everybody gets to see God. Everybody gets to know about God. You want to know about God? Here's what you do. Look at me. You've seen God because you've seen me. And the highway to hell, man, there are a lot of ways to get there, but the kingdom of God, heaven, right relationship with God, man, that is a narrow gate, and I'm the way because I alone am supreme. And this is what we wrestle with. And so we get to this point at the end of this series uh, where, where it, it comes down to, are you or are you not going to believe? And this is John 14, 11 says this, just believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe because of the work that you've seen me do. This is Jesus' last uh, you know, is, is he's, he's finishing up this conversation before he goes to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane and before all of this happens and he's about to pray for unity of the church and those things, but he says this, look, just believe. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And Jesus says, yes, you do. You go through me. I'm the way. It's like, I, I don't know how to get there. Yeah, you do. Walk through me. And Philip says, just show us the Father. And Jesus says, I am your picture of the Father. And then he, and then he just lays all cards on the table and he says, look, just believe that I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. Believe that this is true. That word for belief, pistuo, and it has a double meaning. Pistuo means intellectual assent that causes deep conviction. So when Jesus says believe, He's talking about this idea of, I will believe this is true, and because I believe this is true, it will cause deep conviction within me to pour out in my behavior, in the way I act, in what I do, in what I think, in what I say. So it's just believe. And we get to the end of ourselves here, the end of this series, talking about the attributes of God. And, and, and we're not, I mean, obviously, we're not going to be done talking about who God is here at this church ever. But, but we've been specifically challenged over these 10 weeks to see God well, to see that God is self-existent, to see that he is merciful and gracious and that he loves and that he's faithful and that he's good and he's just and he's sovereign. And we get to the end of all of that and we get to this last week where we, we find out about his supremacy and we get to this last verse in this 10-week series. We hear the last thing that Jesus is gonna say to us in this 10-week series, and it simply is this. Just believe that I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me. Just believe. Intellectual understanding that drives a deep conviction in your life. Just believe. It's the call. And so listen, I'm going to ask the, um, the ushers to come forward. What we're going to do at this point in time is we're going to prepare to collect this morning's offering, um, and I'm going to give you two options. Um, well, I'm gonna, you got a lot of, you can do whatever you want. Um, I, we got a lot of options that you can have, but here, here's what I'm specifically going to ask you to do. Um, you've got, if you've got your bulletin, your tear-off card, uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, by the way, that, that is your offering today. You know, you're under no obligation to give, but, but throw that in the offering plate. Stop by the Welcome Center. But listen to me. If you're, if, if, 
if you're sitting here today and, and you're, you're in one of those camps where you're like, yeah, I intellectually believe about this, but it doesn't matter to me. It means I have this here, but I don't have the conviction in my life. That's not the belief that Jesus is talking about. Jesus says, believe, pistuo, that has conviction attached to it. Okay, or if you're over here and you're like, I'm not sure I believe, and, and we've been talking about Jesus this whole time, what I want you to do on that tear-off sheet. Okay, you can put your name or don't put your name or whatever, but, but what I want you to tell me, okay, is one of two things. Maybe you're telling me, you know what, Matt? I know we spent 10 weeks talking about this, and I know I need to believe. And so you're saying to me, Matt, I believe. And in which case, I want you to write your name because I want to talk to you about that belief, and I want to help you get rooted in that belief, and I want to help that belief drive you. Okay, but here's the thing. If you're not sure you believe, would you do me a favor and tell me why? Tell me why. If you're not sure you believe, and you're like, yeah, we've talked about this, we're not, but, but, but don't just, I, I don't believe in God, okay? I don't believe, and here's why. Here's the thing, because I want to be able to address that too. You don't have to put your name on that. We can address that in a variety of ways, okay? And if you're one of the people that you're like, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to put in there, you know what? I want you to tear off your card, and I want you to put it in there anyway. And the reason for that is because I want every, everybody's throwing a card in the plate. Nobody has to feel weird or awkward, um, and then everybody gets something, Okay? Everybody has an opportunity without feeling weird or awkward to, to put in the plate. And if they've got a genuine question or if they're saying, man, for the first time, I, I, I get it. Whatever it is. We're going to pray. Uh, the praise team is going uh, to come uh, and sing. And, and we'll, we'll close out our service this way. But again, I want to challenge you. Okay? What you think about God is the most important thing about you. And so it's imperative that we think clearly. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God that loves and saves and serves and gives. You are a God that provides grace and mercy and that faithfully holds us up. You are a God who says, when it looks tragically awful, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in me. I'm the narrow gate. You are a God who's exclusive, but who invites everybody in. And God, we just thank you for the fact that you love us to that degree that you sent your one and only son who could be fully God and fully man, who could live a sinless life, who could die on the cross in our place and who rose again, validating his ministry, validating his, um, his godliness, validating the fact that he was both man and God. Father, for those of us here that have not submitted to that God, I pray that there will be... Um, there will be nothing holding us back. And Father, for, for those of us here who believe in that God but haven't surrendered our lives, I pray that there, will be, um, that there will be a new day that will happen where we will say, God, we want to follow you first and foremost. Father, we love you. And we praise you and we thank you for all good things. You are, you are a good and gracious and kind God. We thank you and we love you. Amen.